the premise again is that the American government is murdering its citizens instead of arresting them. <laughs> they wait until they have evidence and, and then they murder <laughs> them. Whenever he was going to show up, that theme would come in, the music would rise, and then you're waiting for something to happen. Nothing happened. He's the worst assassin ever. He, I was just going to say, he's the worst assassin of all time. So I got your notes for the podcast. Excellent. Was, was some of that uh, AI generated? Uh, yeah. The first thing I noticed, or the thing that made me most suspicious, was the note about the actor who played Chun uh-huh. studying Snut Sunju. Oh, Sunju, because it's not real. Because it's not real. <laughs> That's so crazy. <laughs> Thanks, ChatGPT. <laughs> Always coming through in a pinch. It's confident. It really is confident. If you read that, you're like, wow, wow. The ancient art of Sinanju. Uh-huh. I haven't heard of that one before. Yeah. I wonder if there are any classes in my area. I can learn to uh, raise my arms and run on sand without leaving footprints. And if I raise my elbows, then I can run on water. <laughs> it's kind of frightening, you know? It's so good for so many things. But this whole idea that it will just give you just blatant misinformation. Oh, Yeah. And, and work it in. It's like the devil, you know? He mixes falsehoods in with the truth. <laughs> Seamlessly. Seamlessly. So you're running around talking to people about Sinanju and this amazing new martial art that lets <laughs> you walk on water because of ChatGPT. You know how much of that's going to happen in the future? This whole idea of misinformation, no fact-checking whatsoever, people getting all their information from an AI. And if mm-hmm. the AI behaves like this, they're just going to be running around talking nonsense. How is that different? It's not really different. It's just okay. a little more advanced technologically. I was going to say that. Now we can blame the computer uh-huh. slightly. Well, like surgeons like uh, had chat GPT tell me how to perform a heart transplant. And they're like, <laughs> the guy the comes out with, with two hearts. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it says. It says right here. It said two hearts. Yeah, take the AI to trial. <laughs> Skynet's new strategy. They tried killing Sarah Connor and it didn't work out. Right. So now they're just going to just robots, lead us all in the wrong direction. <laughs> Instead. Make us idiots. They really I was trying to build a cabinet and I built a robot that tried to kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I followed the instructions. To a T. I'm like, this doesn't look like a cabinet. I don't understand. What is this? Where did I put my stuff? <laughs> Why does it have a gun and red eyes? <laughs> Welcome to Don't Encourage Us, the podcast where we talk about the big ideas behind fiction projects of all different kinds. Books, movies, TV shows, video games, nothing's off limits. I'm your host, Harry Kim, and I'm here with my co-host, Neelix. Hi, Neelix. Hey, everybody. Today, we're talking about the Destroyer Pulp Fiction novel series, the Remo Williams movie adaptation, and an upcoming Amazon show. But first, what creative content have you been into this week? This week, I have really been taking it easy. I'm still working my way through The Alienist, the story about the late 1890s serial killer in New York. And Mm -hmm. one of the first, I guess, the first well-known psychiatrist, he's fictionalized, of course, who goes on like a detective mission to find out who this serial killer is. It's a really interesting book. He's the uh, original guard, Alex Cross. Yeah, the first Alex Cross. That's a good way to put it. There are a lot of really interesting parts of the book in terms of like forensic science, how like fingerprints weren't widely accepted at the time. 
mm-hmm. is being a reliable way to catch a killer. There's so many things that we take for granted now in just investigations and watching so many crime dramas that they just didn't exist, right? Like any type of forensics around blood, fingerprints, DNA, nothing, of course, at that time period. So there was so many crimes being committed and people just could never figure out who it was. If it was done in some dark alley somewhere, yeah, good luck <laughs> finding uh, out who it was. Days. Right? Yeah. The Jack. It reminds me, days. have you seen uh, Death Note? I started watching it. The movie on um, Netflix or the uh, the original anime? the yeah. original anime. I yeah. really liked it, and I I forget why I stopped watching it, but it wasn't because it wasn't a great show. It gets into this kind of Sherlock Holmes mind battle. Mm. You know, so it really doesn't look like it, but the show is almost like an homage to the Moriarty Holmes conflict where you're investigating and you have to outsmart your opponent and think several moves ahead. And so it's a, it's a really it's one of the most brilliant series that I've bothered to, you know, read the screen through the entire series. But it's really good. How many episodes is it? I don't know. Is there any way to figure that out? Uh, ChatGPT, how many episodes of Death Note? <laughs> One. <laughs> it was canceled. Death Note. Halfway through. The American crime drama starring Chuck Norris. As about a, a musical note that <laughs> yeah. murders people. Pure confidence. Are you yep, uh, up to date with Last of Us? Did you watch episode five? I did watch it. I enjoyed it. To an extent, I'm still on the bandwagon of it's just going to turn into The Walking Dead. It's such a bleak series that I don't know if I want to really continue watching it. it puts me in kind of like a bad mindset because mm-hmm. it's so depressing. And so it it gives you these moments of hope and then just kind of destroys them mm-hmm. by how dark everything gets, you know? Yeah. What did you yeah, think yeah, of the yeah. episode? I also may stop watching the series, but for slightly different reasons. They've fallen in this pattern of hitting the same notes. We're only five episodes in, but a couple times now, they've introduced us to new characters and then killed them off like in the same episode, basically. And so that's kind of a cheap trick, yeah. you know, especially because we're 20 years into this apocalypse. And it makes it hard for the series to feel like a series instead of just a a bunch of sort of self-contained episodes, you know? They've also hit the same note of survivors, people who presumably have made it this far, committing suicide because of their love and attachments. They've hit that note a couple times now as well. And again, we're only five episodes in. So it feels a little bit like emotionally cheap, like the creators of this series are trying to, I don't want to say win awards, but like... They're trying to put on the window dressings of like a prestige series without actually bothering to build the foundation and do the behind the scenes work. It's like a beautiful car, but the engine's garbage. You know, because it's just trying to make it look shiny. That's kind of lame. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think in the way they introduce these characters, you feel as if they're in for at least more than a few episodes. You know, Mm -hmm. the Henry and Sam, that relationship was so interesting. And I felt like there were so many moments that were so nuanced in the acting, how they were survivors, this idea of like, are you a good person or a bad person? Like how guilty he was Mm -hmm. around getting the the, uh, medication for his little brother, but he had to do it. But there was a lot of that going on in the the episode, which I found really interesting. And it would have been, it would have been great kind of to see them on the road all together. Mm -hmm. 
and just the way they built up the two main characters and the interactions with them and how the girl was starting to get attached to the to the little boy and kind of teaching him the ropes kind of like and how to survive in that environment. And then it's just done shockingly. Again, and then we move on again. Yeah. And is that just going to be every episode? Are we just going to get reintroduced to a new character? Like, oh, wow, that character is interesting. The acting's really good. You're starting to feel something for the character. And then, nope. We're and then they kill, kill, kill themselves. Them yeah. They kill themselves and then they go off on the next quote unquote adventure in a new town. I feel like it's getting rinse and repeat thematically. They're definitely, in my opinion, hitting the same notes too many times for this early in the series. Mm -hmm. I'm still trying to figure out how bad Fedra is because it seems like the minute Fedra pulled out of the city, it was like a countdown until they killed themselves. Mm -hmm. So yes, they were harsh and the character that we meet says that they were, what did you say? They were like torturing, murdering, you know, hanging people and raping and the rape. Okay. So if they're raping people, there's no, there's no reason for that. But if it took really strict discipline to keep these communities from imploding and to keep people alive, again, I'm not you know, I mean, again, raping's terrible. So obviously that's, that's wrong. They're the bad guys. I get it. But we haven't really seen them do anything that would seem disproportionate to the level of discipline or control or whatever you want to call it required to keep humans from killing themselves or destroying their own society. Right. Am I, yeah, is, no, I think you're making a good point. This idea that we don't know if they're rogue factions within Fedra like some bad apples that are causing this right. type of chaos. But right. then when they introduce these rebel groups, they're pretty bad. Yeah, how could they right? be like, how, better? How, are how they could the Fedra, heroes? Kansas City be worse? Especially because they basically wiped themselves out in a, like a week, right? Or like, yeah. it wasn't even that long. And they wiped out their entire community over absolutely not an issue worth wiping your community out over. Right, know? and she's ruthless. They're absolutely well, ruthless. It's like and kill suicidal. Them all. It's well, like, yeah, okay. and let's risk everyone's lives to get revenge. And it's like maybe Fedra needed to be intense. Harsh. Yeah, to some extent. They're not making a very good case overall that Federals is this evil demonic force that had to be erased. Or that when, the, everyone else is worth saving. Yeah, absolutely. It it's just making the point. It's like every man and woman for themselves. Basically, the what safest route at this point. Different yeah. uniforms, same same people. It's the same yeah. exact thing. Right, exactly. So quick question. A city, Kansas City, theoretically largely abandoned for 20 years. No insects or animals having moved in, no birds anywhere, no evidence of living things other than people. Nothing. Nowhere. Seems strange. It's a little bit odd. Yeah, they never make a reference to, was there some other kind of infection that killed off all the wildlife, every oh, single insect. Yeah. Right. They haven't mentioned anything. Yeah, maybe those uh, zombies or the fungus zombies are snacking on roaches and rats and little birds to stay alive. Yeah, you're right. It's just completely bare of anything else except zombies and, and humans. How are those humans staying alive, the ones that are infected? Another great question. I don't know. What is it? Is the fungus just... I thought the fungus 
fed off the body for 20 until years till it, it no i'm getting to that uh, it doesn't make any sense it's feeding off the body and has an unlimited food supply of some sort well or yeah is it getting mean, nutrients from when they attack a non-infected person but it just seems like they bite them Kind of well, how many non-infected people were the fungus zombies that were living underground encountering on a regular basis? I guess the fungus must be taking nutrients from the soil and then converting them to something that the body, the host body, can feed off of for twenty years and yeah, this is maintain thought out musculature and good ligament strength and obviously a lot of flexibility. Well, beyond good, right? They're like yeah. gymnasts, Enhanced. power lifters, Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> yeah, the speed. They're also like sprinters, you know, like well, that big one. Sprinters messed all up. That. Yeah, that that big one was was super strong. So where is it getting fuel? Maybe they're I eating mean, the roaches and the rats and you know the little protein. critters that should be running around in the city. I mean, that guy's probably on a ten thousand calorie diet, right? Where's he getting that? Or 20,000 yeah. calorie diet. Yeah, I don't, easily. Hmm. I don't think they really thought this through, did they? It's, I don't know. Be it's nice kind if they of, would keep teaching us to separate it a little. That's what I was going to say. Series. It's kind of odd that they set this really interesting precedent in the beginning, teaching mm-hmm. them about how they found out about it, what it is, how it operates. And then they just gave up on that altogether. They abandoned it completely in favor of basically the same plot already twice now yeah i don't know where this is gonna go i don't know if i'm gonna keep going on the ride every week mm-hmm. or i'm just gonna wait until it's like season two or something and then just kind of binge it if it's worth it yeah but i might just get chat gpt to summarize the episodes summarize for me oh that's a good idea <laughs> uh, too bad it stops at 2021 right now it's knowledge based is that right mm-hmm. why is that that's what it was trained on Huh. Up until 2021. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. But I think this new one is more current because it's not tapped into the current internet, apparently. It's everything up to 2021 that it was like the knowledge set that it has. Huh. So it's like the peak of human civilization. I, I guess so. <laughs> Should have stopped it like March 2020. And that's when uh, the people creating it were allowed to go to dinner in public again and go to right. movies. <laughs> what? <laughs> you could leave the, the cave. Yeah, that's right. Okay, today we are talking about the Destroyer series starring Remo Williams, America's Assassin. The premise of the series is something like what if what America really needs is more killing. <laughs> it's a great summary. What do you think of that premise? I think it's an accurate premise. Though so we should say spoiler warning. So I've actually read now the first two books and I watched the movie. So we're going to spoil at least those three things. But there are 152 books so far. So even (laughs) if I spoil the first two, there are 150 other ones that you can read. No other movies, though. So anyway, you were saying. I was saying, I think it's perfect. I think (laughs) the fact that they chose this man to be like America's savior, Mm -hmm. it's a lot of work. (laughs) <laughs> There's a lot they had to do to find this guy. Yeah. He was the only guy they could find to do this type of work. There was no one who had previously been trained, right? Who was right. kind of around, right. like part of like a special forces unit mm-hmm. or something. They find this like bumbling detective 
He's not even like, a detective. He's like a beat cop. Yeah, beat cop to like transform into a super spy. What I found really funny about the movie is how quickly he accepts his fate. Did you find that kind of odd? They kind of tell him that this is what's going to happen. He's like, okay, let's go. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> he didn't really protest at all. He never tried to like escape and be like, you know, forget this. I don't want to, I don't want to be involved in this. I'm running. He just went along with it so easily. Well, there's a lot about the movie that's interesting and we're talking about. And there's a lot that's different from the books. So what do you want to talk about first? Should we start with the movie or should I talk a little bit about the books or? We can talk a little bit about the movie and then jump in the books and see where the differences really are. How about you give the audience a brief summary? Ooh. We'll see how that works out. All right. Sam Macon is a tough Brooklyn, New York City street cop and Vietnam-era Marine Corps veteran. He's unwillingly recruited as an assassin for a secret United States organization called Cure. The recruitment is through a bizarre method. His death is faked and he's given a new face and a new name, rechristened Remo Williams, after the name and location of the manufacturer of the bedpan in Macon's hospital room. His face is surgically altered and he is trained to be a human killing machine by his aged, derisive, and impassive Korean martial arts master, Chun. Though Remo's training is extremely rushed by Chun's standards, Remo learns seemingly impossible skills such as dodging bullets and running on water and wet cement. Chun teaches Remo the Korean martial art named Sinaju. Remo's instruction is interrupted when he's sent by Cure to investigate a corrupt weapons procurement program within the U.S. Army. Nice. Nice. Wow, you've really gotten better at that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> 1985 film stars uh, Fred Ward, who passed away last year. Wilford Brimley from the Diabetes. Diabetes fame. Yeah. 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 Kate Mulgrew, who's done a few different projects over the years, including Star Trek. It was directed by Guy Hamilton. Did you look him up at all? Learn anything about that guy? Um, guy Hamilton. Was he involved with Last Starfighter? Oh, I don't think so. Or the composer oh, no. of this. The composer did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, what do you think of the theme? There's just a very brief Remo theme that they use throughout the film. Did you like those few bars? I actually didn't enjoy the score at all. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit. <laughs> it's a weird mix of synth. And they try to do like the Asian bamboo kind of thing. And they throw in like European strings. And then back to that 80s, like do, 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 do. And then the Remo theme gets thrown in randomly, like when he just speeds up a vehicle a little bit or that's, does one little move, they throw in his theme. That's what I wanted to mention. I thought it was really, it was kind of ridiculous. The intro I thought was one of the slowest, dullest intros for a movie I've oh, seen in such a long oh, time. It went on so long. It was just, <laughs> for the audience, <laughs> it was just shots of buildings in New York, really slow kind of helicopter shots some close-ups that were really, really tight on like a window for no reason. And it went on and on and on. It seemingly went on for like 20 minutes, but I'm sure it yeah. was only three and I couldn't believe no, it. It had to be at least six or seven minutes. It was <laughs> so long. I was trying to figure out why. And were they going to go right into him, like climbing the side of a building? No. Right. It right. was just establishing shots of New York in case you had no idea where you were. So many. And you wanted a brief tour. Yeah. It was kind of unbelievable. And in terms of the score, the score was really funny because it would start elevating tension when there was nothing to really like elevate the tension around. Mm -hmm. It was just him walking or like 
whenever he was going to show up, that theme would come in, the music would rise, and then you're waiting for something to happen. Nothing happened. It was so odd. It almost seemed like the score was mismatched to the action on the screen. Yeah, it really did. Like it was too intense while they were like establishing the scene, like the first few seconds of the scene and didn't seem to match with the action going on during the scene. And the special effects, like the punches and stuff, sounded so fake uh-huh. yeah. as well. I found that well, so funny. It was And the so... timing was off a couple times on the special effects, or like the sound effects. Oh, the sound? I thought you meant the uh, window. Oh, yeah, no, that was also... So there were a few action sequences. They seemed to rely on practical effects, right? It seemed like they were really determined to do that and have the actors do stunts. So there were a bunch of very awkward shots where that really relied on sound effects because nobody was like hitting the ground that hard or actually making contact. But they actually did this a couple of times. And I think the best example is what you're talking about. The glass shatters before he hits it. But because they filmed and played it at normal speed, you can clearly see that the glass shattered before he hit it. And I happen to be able to pause it right at that frame. I I tried it like five times. Yeah. To pause it at that moment. So I was like, wait a minute. Did the glass just shatter before he touched it? Yeah. That sure kind enough. of stuff happens a lot, like too much. Yeah, it was really, it was really off. Did you also know the Statue of Liberty was built in uh Mexico City? The rep. So I wonder if that was a true <laughs> fact. <laughs> Chat GPT strikes again. <laughs> I did read that they, uh, there's a scene for those of you who have not and probably will not see this. <laughs> there's, there's a scene where three random construction guys accept, I don't know how much money, like a thousand dollars, it seems like. It seemed like like a stack of ones. Right. It to was murder like... <laughs> a stranger. <laughs> and really get into it. Yeah. They really get seriously. Yeah. They clearly would have done it for free. So let's think, um, can we clear that up for a second? Sure. So they were just random construction guys. They weren't actually guys, dre- assassins or something dressed up as construction guys. They were just random construction guys who were like, hey, I've got some money for you. There's a guy up there. Can you kill him for us? And they're like, yeah, let's do it, right? I don't know. It's very strange. All right, let's go over the facts. We see the bad guy giving them money. These three construction guys at the base of the Statue of Liberty. And they're like, okay, we got it. And one of them's like, (laughs) repeatedly. I think they just dubbed that in. I think it's the same laughter. Anyway, so they're taking the money. They're dressed as construction workers. So if they were paid assassins, there's no reason to pay them at the base of a public public park. Why would you pay them out in the open if they were people you hired in advance, right? Because this is Remo Williams. Nothing makes sense. Okay, movie. all right, fine. So he, he gives them cash. They go up there to the top of the Statue of Liberty where Remo Williams is being trained to get over his fear of heights. And these three guys very clumsily attempt to, what, force him to fall. So uh-huh. it looks like an accident. Yep. And then at the end, when they fail, he kills what two of them he hangs one of them for sure kills oh, yeah. him one, that guy's dead didn't he throw one out or something he threw one out so that guy's dead he tied a rope around his neck threw him no, out no, and but... the other ones he knocked out one of them he knocked against like the side of that like the elevator or whatever and then the other one he pulled into those two doors and like kind of like crushed him i thought that was the same guy i thought there were three he killed two he killed and he two left one three. alive i think unless he somehow killed him, smashing his face and then 
closing the gate on him, right? Isn't that right? I thought he didn't he like kick one out or something. I thought the one he kicked out is the one he hung. So he well, tied a rope did around that, his like, neck, kicked him out, and he flew out. And I think the other one was laying on the floor. And then he pulled the other one between no, okay. the two doors. But it didn't make it any matter. Sense. It was so extreme with that yeah. one poor guy. Like, so basically, this idea that like three teamsters are happy to take cash from a stranger to murder another stranger and I enjoy mean, the hell out of it. They loved it. They, they loved, were like, super into that. It. That's why I thought maybe they were maybe associated with the guy who was paying them. Because later on, he had called them, oh, did you encounter my friends or something? So I know that he could have just been calling him, quote unquote, his friends. But Right. Well, the other I, guy refers to them as his guys. He's like, your guys are doing a great job or did a great job. But I, I don't see, like, he hired them in advance and then brought them to the... The Statue of Liberty and then paid them and then they, I don't know. And it seems like doesn't make any sense. He just grabbed three random guys that are so thrilled to kill some guy on the top of the Statue of Liberty. It was for cash cash in front of everyone. (laughs) In front of everyone. And he's just like, here, here's a big wad of cash. Oh, thanks. Let's go. (laughs) Let's get him. Okay. So anyway, the director, Guy Hamilton, they hired him for a specific reason. He directed four of the James Bond movies. Are we sure about that? (laughs) (laughs) There's going to be a lot here. I don't trust anything anymore. That's funny. Yes, I I think it's true. Goldfinger, Diamonds Are Forever, Live and Let Die, and The Man with the Golden Gun. So he did some of the classic ones that established Bond as the valuable intellectual property that it is. So what do you think happened here with Remo? What went wrong? What went wrong with Remo that went right with all those other James Bond Yeah, that's a good question. The director was a little bit older. Goldfinger was 1964. Man with the Golden Gun was 1974. So it's 11 years later. Tastes have changed at this point. If you think about the Bond franchise, it's gone way more sci-fi than it had before. I don't remember when Moonraker came out, but we're we're out of the... Um, Space uh, race era? Well, yeah, the Sean Connery kind of classic Bond. And we've now moved into the more... Humor, forward, science fiction, future-facing Bond stuff. So maybe something happened with this director. Maybe he changed or his style wasn't up to date. Maybe I'd have to go back and look at some of those movies. But maybe, for example, they have eight-minute establishing shots in the beginning. Maybe the opening scenes are really, really long. And by 1985, people's tastes had changed. And because it's not a film from the 60s or 70s, we have different expectations. So it could be that. The writer for Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins, was also one of the writers from the Bond movies. Hmm. And the idea was that this would be a James Bond type product or project or IP. So they really had planned on a series of films, hence the name of the movie. Did you look at the production company? Did you see who that was? No, was it Orion? Nope. Dick Clark Productions. Oh, Dick Clark. Yeah. He produced yeah, so it. So yeah. Dick Clark of American Bandstand and Rockin' New Year's Eve and $25,000 Pyramid fame. He had at that point, interesting career, by the way, if you ever want to Google it, would probably make a pretty good like TV movie or something. But Dick Clark had developed himself as first an on-air talent and then 
fancied himself pretty knowledgeable about what people want, what entertainment is. He had a TV production company, which makes a lot of sense given his career and I think did pretty well. And this was one of their attempts to break into films. So the idea was he would get investors, assemble a team, get this intellectual property and create a franchise, a Bond, American James Bond, basically. And was Fred Ward at the time just a, a big superstar? No, he had done some stuff. They almost cast Bruce Willis. But Fred Ward, I think, had had like really well-received supporting roles in some fairly big movies. He was probably affordable. Like He certainly could do action. He was willing to do stunts, from what I gathered. And that was important to them, is to have the actor do some of the stunts. So I guess he was just the best option from their point of view. What did you think of his acting in this? Oh, man. That's a good question. I don't think that he was given a lot to work with. And when we talk about the differences between the movie and the novels and the upcoming series on Amazon, I think it'll be interesting to talk about what aspects of the character are developed, like for this film versus the novel versus what they could do with the upcoming series. I think the character of Remo Williams in this film was fairly thin. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it relies a lot on the actors kind of like, almost like Jim in the office, sort of that like reaction of like, can you believe this? Here we go. And uh, this again, you know, so it's a lot of that kind of thing. There are some actual emotional moments, like when he thinks that Chion is dead in the yeah. truck crash. And I thought that both actors did a good job with those moments, but they are very, very brief. I, I don't think it was great. It's not bad. I think Fred Ward has charisma. I'm not sure if a better director or better script would have been enough to make this a series of films. What do you think? Since I've seen it, I've been trying to figure out why, why it fell so flat. Yeah. There were moments that were really comical. Like the introduction, like when they first meet each other, I was like, wow, this is really funny. The way that he's mm-hmm. dodging all his bullets and Fred Ward's kind of like this physical comedy aspect. Mm-hmm. I thought was really funny between them. I thought that could have been a little more played up. I think they did a good job of that in um, The Karate Kid. I uh, think that uh-huh. kind of worked a lot better, that dynamic. Yeah. And that was what Karate Kid is around the same time. I'm assuming it would have been filmed around the same time as this movie. Yeah, or now you've got me curious. Out. I think it was 1984 and this is 85, right? That would clearly be an influence. 1984, this is the year after Karate Kid. So right. yeah, yeah, good catch. But I felt with this movie, the score didn't work. I thought it was like trying to manipulate you at times when you didn't make any sense. I thought something was off about the acting, not with Chun and him so much as with the supporting actors. They just didn't seem very believable to me. They were very much caricatures. And just the way they behaved was so flat. Are you talking about the um, bad guys? The bad guys. Okay. Really the bad guys. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. There there wasn't much effort to give the characters any additional dimensions. uh Kate Mulgrew, her character of the army officer investigating the problem. You know, we should probably give a little more context. So Remo Williams is recruited and trained by a secret American government organization that only the president knows about and the, I guess, three people who work there plus Chun, so four technically. So those are all the people 
in the world who know that this organization exists. Its purpose is to assassinate any American who is committing terrible crimes and is unreachable by the justice system. Wilford Brindley leads the organization. He has a fleet of, or a, what do you call it, a flock of computers? What do you call it? Mm-hmm. A, 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 like a giant server room. farm. Server farm, sure. That he uses to track down Americans who are in power positions and doing terrible things. Then they gather the evidence they need. They send in Remo Williams. And once they have that evidence, they assassinate the person, make it look like a perfect accident, and then move on. And this is an origin story. So he's recruited and trained. And his first mission is around a arms uh, manufacturer, an American company that builds weapons, everything from a new assault rifle all the way up to something related to the Star Wars program, like killer satellites. And they're corrupt and dishonest and soldiers are suffering the consequences and so on and so forth. So the bad guys are these contractors and some, I guess the military, none of the military people are bad, right? Now the military, the captain or whatever, the head of the military seems to be on some type of payroll. Okay, he's right. been instructed so they've, to make they've their... corrupted. Yeah, that's right. They've corrupted a couple army officials. I guess he's bribing him or whatever. Yeah, you're right. That's right. And one of them is Kate Mulgrew's boss. And so she's investigating this problem and, you know, the malfunctions and getting closer to discovering that this organization is cutting corners and lying and endangering soldiers. And Fred Ward is sent in and basically rescues her. But the point I was going to make is, I think she's a good example of characters or actors not really being given much to do. Like her character starts off as the sort of plucky, I'm a woman in a man's world character. And it's Uh fairly cliche, but the actress, I think, tries to bring a little bit of depth and actual vulnerability and emotion to that character instead of just being a hard ass or a cliche. But then her character switches roles essentially to the damsel in distress yeah, and then back and then back again several times. And for the latter, but the last third of the movie, she's just trailing along. She's in danger briefly. He only really saves her seemingly because he's also in danger. Like they're both in danger I don't know if there are any moments where he really goes out of his way to save her. She's just kind of there. Anyway, it was odd. I don't think the actors had much to work with, whether they were good, bad, or neutral. Yeah, that's a good point. It's oftentimes, I think, hard to really get that. Because, you know, you get these performances from actors where in the hands of another actor, there would have been nothing. Right. But they're given very little to work with, and they make that role so memorable, and that's what they're known for. Okay. Yeah. Well, good example, Wilford Brimley's speech about all of them committing suicide if they Uh get caught. Like the rule is for cure, if they're ever caught, then they all just basically commit suicide, make it look like an accident. And his delivery of that actually held some weight, I thought. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a, he's a talented actor. Good example of what you were saying. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Cause overall, I think this is the type of material that given to mediocre actors, it just really, really can fall flat. Because there's really so you think there, uh, right? Jack Nicholson, uh, Al Pacino, uh, some other super talented actors of the time might have been able to spice this up a little bit, carry it? Maybe spice it up, but not make it a great movie because okay. of all the other factors. And I thought the pacing was odd too, but maybe it's just because it's dated no, it is. from that era. No, no, it, it's odd. There are a lot of films like Jim Cotta is basically the same plot. 
and it came out the same year, right? So there's a lot of films like that. And this pacing could have been done better. It's always awkward to do an origin story and then an adventure. But the pacing of this with the training and the action sequences was very odd. Yeah, it seemed almost awkward where it kind of took you out of the, yeah. out of the movie. I think it's classic screenwriting, like screenwriting 101. There are certain, like if you do 120 pages for a film, give or take a few pages, there are page numbers where certain things need to happen. Uh And nobody has done that better, to my knowledge, than say Pixar like 10 years ago. You know, animated movies need to be really perfectly scripted before you do anything else because you can't really make a lot of changes, or at least that used to be the case. And so you know what page number things need to happen. And I think this film breaks that rhythm or those rules multiple times and it's jarring. I think the editing is jarring too. Yeah, that's true. It made it even worse. So you're taking like a poorly paced script, having really strange editing happening or editing that wasn't paced to the action correctly. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's films of that era. I don't know, like in terms of like the early 80s movies if their editing style is very different to what we're used to now for that type of movie and i would say it probably is the amount of cuts in a modern movie of the same genre would be much more than the amount of cuts in a movie of that era so it kind of speeds up the entire pace of the movie yeah i wonder if it could be recut yeah that's a great show idea It'd be interesting. It'd be interesting yeah. to have a yeah, right, reality show, recut with Remo Williams. <laughs> Just take, take movies that have like a cult following or, you know, they're basically one of their, they're not terrible, but the editing didn't do it any favors and then have people make versions and put them up on YouTube. That uh-huh. actually would be a cool thing to do with, a, uh, with an IP that's dead. Yeah, that would be really cool. To sit yeah. and modernize it. Yeah, if you had more proof of the score... Improve the score, yeah. improve the editing, and see what you yeah. could get. Just give it Maybe the teams. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it would be a great of, movie. Who knows? That'd be a cool, fun project. Actually, I wonder if you could just run a YouTube channel doing that. If somebody had connections with studios, you know, somebody owns an IP and it's like, they're not giving anything away. They might even reinvigorate it. And, yeah. and so they give you the rights and whatever extra footage there is. And you try to cut it, rescore it, maybe do some uh, little AI enhancements. Yeah, that would be an interesting idea, an interesting show idea. There's a, actually a set of interviews or a YouTube channel. It's called Sunday Conversations. I don't know if you've ever seen it. There are these really short celebrity interviews, but they're edited so ridiculously that they become like really hilarious kind of like satirical type of interviews hmm. where you know the guy's asking ridiculous questions, but they'll do very odd zooms on the person being interviewed and they'll just hold on their uh, face like a little bit too long. Uh-huh. And there's like an underlying kind of like soundtrack that increases the tension artificially. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. Like he asks a question, he's like, what do you, you know, what do you think about animal rights? The interviewer asks this the guy that he's interviewing. And then he's like, I don't believe that porcupine should have AR-71s or whatever the hell gun it is. (laughs) And then it cuts to the person being interviewed, but you're never really sure if their reaction is to that or to something completely different. And they're just kind of looking in this very weird way and it's zooming in on their eyes. And then it'll cut back to the interviewer and he's like completely straight face. (laughs) The way these interviews are cut, they're hilarious. And it's all in the editing. Because I'm sure it's a, you know, it's an all right interview. 
But then when it's recut and it adds all this extra tension, it just becomes really funny and really awkward. So I think what you're saying is you would like some of our many, many thousands of listeners to get a copy of Remo Williams and see if they can cut a scene or a segment into something that is really surreal and maybe disturbing. I'm actually telling them to stop the podcast right now and go do that and come back and upload it to our YouTube channel in the comments. And then we'll pick a winner. Channel. Like we could afford a YouTube come channel. Come on. How much are those now? 10,000 Bitcoin? We'll never make it on YouTube. 2,500 Ethereum? I don't know how much they cost now. So we haven't talked about uh, <laughs> the yellow elephant in the room. Mm. Joel Gray, who uh, I'm going to say, first of all, I thought he did a good job <laughs> acting. Mm-hmm. He played Chiun, and he is an Caucasian actor in yellow face, basically wearing makeup to appear to be an elderly Korean man. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit uh, of an interesting choice. Probably not something they will do in a modern remake. All right. And you're like, when is this movie from? Is it 1800s or, (laughs) you know, 1920? It's a London stage play from 1738. I mean, it's... It's not like they couldn't find a Korean actor. I guess the director really liked this actor, Joel Gray. Again, I think he did a fine job. His portrayal is inherently offensive. But other than that, I don't think he did. I don't think the actor added anything to it that made it offensive. You know, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it was such an odd thing to watch. Yeah, the character is extremely offensive. I mean, I found so many of the characters in this movie completely offensive. But then understanding that backstory, they give him prosthetics and made him look like that. Mm-hmm. Seems like an odd choice. You think of all the actors that that are out there, they couldn't have chosen someone who was who was well. And Korean as you said, play the role, or it was the year after Karate Kid came out, right? So odd choice. So anyway, uh, now that we're a little warmed up, I uh, think it's time for us to play a game that I thought of. This is a game I call more or less offensive. So it's an '80s movie, so everything is at least a little bit offensive. But I'm gonna tell you about something in the film. And then I want you to just tell me right off the top of your head, is it more or less offensive? More or less offensive than our character in Remo Williams? No, just oh. more or less offensive. Okay. Just not then right. anything. <laughs> doesn't make sense. Just so yeah, whatever. Example, a white guy playing a Korean. Is that more or less offensive? Uh, more offensive. More offensive. Okay. The only Asian in the film is a master of martial arts. More or less offensive. Less offensive. Okay. Old white man is the boss. More or less offensive. Less offensive. Okay. All right. Bold choice. Chiun's remarks about women making babies and blessed silence. More offensive. More offensive. Okay. All right. Good. Cure relies on countless computers, but has no IT department. More or less offensive. More offensive. Okay. (laughs) Chiun always eating rice. More or less. More offensive. Okay. The joke about Remo smelling like hamburgers. More offensive. Nice. Good. I was gonna I was gonna call you out on that one. That was very consistent. Thank both you. food related jokes, both tied <laughs> to people's ethnicity. You are not racist. Okay, last one. Me doing this bit on more or less offensive. Oh, definitely more offensive. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> very good. All right. 
That was that was helpful. That was palate cleansing. The whole thing was so ridiculous in so many ways. It did seem like it um, was slightly uh, above the average in terms of things that they really dialed it up. Yeah. (laughs) You know, if you were a little bit confused, they just threw in like a racial slur or something from Wilford Brimley to just spice things up (laughs) about about Chun. And that was like one of his guys, right? They're on the same side. Yeah. Okay. Anything else about this movie? I have a few questions, but was there anything about this film that you wanted to talk about? His actual training. Did you find his training just so subpar in terms of your classic montage scenes, let's say from the A-team or something when they're getting ready for a fight with the bad guys? Mm-hmm. That was so mm-hmm. much more entertaining around the same time period. That's why I'm bringing it up. This seemed like it was just his fear of heights and he had to dodge bullets. Those are the two main things that he was really training for that we actually really no, saw. No, there was other stuff. They made a point of that running on the beach sequence where he can like use his breathing to levitate or whatever that was. And the sequence I think I probably liked the most, the training one was all about balance when he Mm. has to hop on the magazine rack and the furniture piled up and then he gets to the like loft level and then he has to do it blind or in the dark. It just, I don't know, something about his training was so dull and something about in the Karate Kid the way that he was trained and all like the little one-liners from Mr. Miyagi about Mm. why he was doing it. It was just so much more clever, I thought, in every way and much more memorable. This almost seemed like they watched those scenes and like, we can't do exactly what he's doing there. We got to come up with something else and we got to do this kind of, I I felt like kind of half-ass exercise in him becoming this super spy. Then he seemed to be ready pretty quickly in terms of yeah. What he that, had to do, right? That like, is a real problem. The books tackle it differently. I think that the training stuff is actually some of the better stuff in the movie, but it could be done way, way better. I think it's very interesting, especially to like, you know, adolescent boys or kids, you know, this idea of martial arts training being done in a city instead of like in the hills of Asia, you know, in the back country of Asia at a monastery or something, this idea that you could do it in a city and in a loft, you know, on a rooftop with random pieces of garbage. I think that that is a one of the more appealing aspects of the film. But yeah, I definitely think it could have been done way, way, way better. It wasn't terrible. It just, man, it started off really strong with his, you know, breaking into Chun's apartment. Mm. I, know, I found that so funny because mm-hmm. it was so ridiculous. And the, again, the pacing was really weird and off, but it worked so well for that scene in particular, you know, yeah. Yeah, where yeah. he's just beating himself up, beating himself to a pulp and Chun's just standing there. I thought that was really clever the way yes. they did that. And then it just kind of went downhill from there, in my opinion. Absolutely. No, I think for the new series, that's something that they'll try to salvage and maybe make more interesting and better. But I think it would be a mistake to do it in a traditional martial arts film training way, or even to do a montage. I think it's great that it's an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. Like Remo is always being trained. He just occasionally has to go on missions. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the training can always be sort of funny and unexpected and play off of everyday modern things. I think that works. I think so. And for a series, especially. Mm-hmm. Do you know who's going to be playing Remo? I don't think they've cast him yet. At least the word's not out as far as I'm aware. Who would you cast? 
Ooh, good question. What's the name of that actor? Kind of a pretty boy. He beefed up for Baywatch. He's like the younger, good-looking guy. He was also in a comedy with Seth Rogen. It's not Jason Momoa, right? No, 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 no. This is, um, he's like a shorter guy. I can't remember his name, actually. Not Zac Efron. Yes, Zac Efron. That's who I'm trying to think of. He's a good actor. I don't know if he's a good actor, but if he is a good actor, if he could find a version of this character and they emphasized his looks a little bit less, if he can play like, well, I'll describe the character from the novels and when we get to that part. And so that's, if he's capable of playing that to some extent, then it could be a good choice. Does anybody come to mind for you? It's funny. The first person that came to mind was Tom Holland. Interesting. So you want this to fail? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do. (laughs) Secretly, call me. I think he would add that like kind of naivety to the role of fish out of water. He's so good at doing that when he first realizes he's Spider-Man or whatever that I thought it would be a nice... Yeah, interesting. I don't know. We'll talk more about what aspects of the character were different in the novel. And then maybe that'll help us think about who we would want in that role. But it's not a terrible choice. I think they chose Fred Ward because as an actor, he's got that kind of blue collar vibe. Mm -hmm. He's believable as a less polished, like if he was a construction worker. I mean like Bruce Willis. Yeah, like even more so though. Bruce Willis looks a little bit more polished or could be a little more upper crust, whereas Fred Ward definitely looks like it would be a stretch for him to play the born wealthy, grew up wealthy. He looks a little more hardened, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. I've got the actor for the role, but I'll save him until... All right. Are you sure? We have no meaningful structure here if if you're afraid to lose it. (laughs) I think John Bernthal would be good. Yes. Okay. John Bernthal could be good. Can he do comedy or can he do levity? I guess. That's a good question. Uh, he's been in a lot of different, a lot of movies and a lot of varying roles, but I haven't really seen I don't know many if he has of them. Comedic timing. That's the look for sure. So if you make Zac Efron look like that a little bit more or have him take his normal approach to comedy and mix in a good bit of John Bernthal's approach or, to most roles. Or Jeremy Renner. Um, might be too old, but yes. Yeah, no, he could do it for sure. You're definitely in the right ballpark, I think. All right. So what else? Anything else about this movie that we need to talk about? That we need to talk about or should talk about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, obviously, you know, the name of the film was Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. And it was the beginning of over 30 years of successful movies now. So it's always great when a movie walks up to the plate and points over the fence, you know, points at the outfield before it even takes the swing high. The first pitch comes in. Yeah. Yeah. Always fun. And the ending just really set it up for the adventures continuing. Him just Okay. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the ending for a second. So they refer to the term perfect accident. So the whole point of this super secret organization is that no one know that the American government is murdering American citizens. I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh because I know it happens, but, or I imagine it happens. I don't know it. You don't have to kill me. I don't know anything. Anyway, I imagine it does happen. But the, the premise again is that the American government is murdering its citizens instead of arresting them. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that for a second. They wait, they wait until they have evidence. And, and then, then they murder them. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
this series is going to be great. Yeah. I can't wait to see how they dance around this stuff. Anyway, all right. So they they don't want anyone to know they're doing that. And so the perfect accident that he arranged was to be some sort of random person running around on a military base, such that they, the entire base is involved in trying to track him down. And the main bad guy uses a 50 cal to try with, to kill him. With and absolutely he, no plan. Nothing. He, he had nothing. And I think this was the perfect accident. He drops a log on top of a pile of other logs that knock the Jeep down a hill onto the beach, killing everyone on the Jeep except for the main bad guy. And then, <laughs> and then he, he knocks him out, throws him back onto the Jeep wreckage, and then throws a burning branch into a nice little channel of fuel that's been dug. How did he light that branch? He used friction with his super finger power yeah. from tapping the board, I guess. I don't know. Who knows? And so the investigators are going to come. They're going to say, well, the entire base was firing munitions at somebody who got away. <laughs> and then the three civilian arms, what are they? Arms dealers that are there on the base. They die in a, in a Jeep accident. And then as part of this accident... But it's like a hundred soldiers show up. About a hundred, yeah. Yeah. They see a suspicious person take off on a boat after watching another suspicious person run across the water to the boat. (laughs) And they left a soldier who they had been working with on the dock. And he's going to stamp accident on the reporters. (laughs) Yep, exactly. That's exactly what's going to happen. Because that all makes a lot of sense. (laughs) He's the worst assassin ever. He, I was just going to say, he's the worst assassin of all time. It's hilarious. Basically, he shows up by, what did he, stow away underneath the Jeep or something? And yeah, then he, he like rolls into out. base. Yeah, like I'm in the middle, <laughs> middle, middle of the, the day base. in front of the main. Right in front of somebody. He just flips, he rolls right out of there and pops up. Puts his hat on. Good to go. Dust himself off and he's good to go. Worst. worst Ready to assassin. Secret anything of all time. He had absolutely no plan going in there whatsoever. They would never, ever close that investigation. Ever. No. No. Somebody he was just going to wing a military it. base and murdered four people. How about the invite to go check out the uh, AR-60? Hey, I know you're a bad guy. And he just invites uh, Remo into the Jeep. Hey, let's go check okay. out the AR-60. I have it in this isolated well, area of the base. Clever, clever plan to... Make that look like an accident. So two people were trapped in a room and what poisonous gas was released? Poison in? gas just got released in there and they all died. Why is that even accidentally? A it's a military. Why would they need to gas a room? No reason. What's that they, room for anyway? There's a lot of nonsense. On. And Diamond Tooth. Diamond that was tooth. one of my favorite scenes. I've well, seen I'm that guy saying. before in other movies. Have you ever seen oh, okay. him? Uh, probably. If without the diamond tooth, I don't think I'd you recognize can't. it. really throws you off, doesn't it? He doesn't have a lot of lines. I mean, yeah. yeah. Boy, so many weird, weird choices. Just a strange movie, right? The end blows my mind, truly, right? The whole point is that it's supposed to be a secret. But there were literally a hundred witnesses at the end. Heavily armed witnesses who don't do anything. They're just like, who's that guy? I'll see you later. 
I'll give them that. I mean, they have no idea what's going on. With the chaos on there, that is not a typical day at the base, right? And they're probably all like mad at this guy who's been yelling at him over the speaker, you know, the bad guy. You know, so I can imagine them not pulling the trigger, but they're all witnesses. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. The 80s was a wild time. Maybe this kind of thing happened a lot. Strange, strange stuff. Oh, I mean, they would assume he was a Russian or some sort of foreign agent who killed three or four people on a military base, right? You would think so. That's the assumption. Yeah. And where do they go from there? Where are they headed? I don't know. We'll never find out because the adventure didn't continue. (laughs) Maybe in the next one, he's on trial. (laughs) He's just running from the military for the rest of the series. Maybe he's just in that boat cruising around, you know? Or maybe there was like a post credit scene that I didn't wait for where everybody in Cure commits suicide. Because mm-hmm. they, oh yeah, they have to, Such a failure. Right? Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's why the adventure didn't continue. It's funny how they described the previous assassinations as being these like incredible secret assassinations, right? All mm-hmm. perfect accidents. Perfect accidents. Robin Hood. This, would you consider this a perfect uh, accident? Mm, close. Close. Real close, right? Yeah, maybe if he yeah, had rolling logs, dodging yeah. artillery fire prior to killing people. There's obviously cameras in the facility they had to escape from. Well, they have the, human sensors, remember? That one guy. Oh, yeah, they, that was human. Sir, My sensors are detecting a human. detected a human, but he's 50 feet above the ground. <laughs> what is that technology? And why is that there? Do they have like human, human detectors 50 feet above the ground? Why is there a logging camp on a military base? So many questions. So many questions. It's a paper mill slash army base. (laughs) Final question. Why did Grove just blow up the fake satellite all of a sudden? Oh, uh, with a laser. I think what they didn't explain, but they were trying to imply is that Remo set off. Okay, so for those of you who are probably not going to watch this. Part of figuring out the bad guy's evil plan is to break into their manufacturing facility. And they break in, and it's actually Remo and his handler, the guy who lost an arm. And I guess that's why he's not the assassin. I don't know. So they split up. Remo goes looking for evidence, and he stumbles upon a uh, satellite in a room. But as soon as he goes in there, some sort of laser system destroys the satellite. And it's supposed to be like a Star Wars anti-ballistic missile satellite, I think, system. It's that whole like Cold War thing where, you know, mutually assured destruction. If we could get the upper hand, you know, that would be great or something. So I think what we're supposed to understand is that Grove, the military company, intentionally destroyed this because they set up the system to destroy it if anyone got in the room. Because if they got in the room, they would figure out that the system is fake, the satellite system doesn't work, and they'd be ruined. So having it look like somebody, if someone breaks in, having it look like that person destroyed it allows them to keep going and get more money and, you know, not get in trouble, right? So that was... But it was unclear if they intentionally set up Remo so that he would break in so that they could cover their tracks and blame him. So I wasn't really yeah, sure. It about seemed that. weird. That whole sequence was odd to me. That's what I was asking. Like the whole destroying yeah. of it. Like, why didn't they destroy Remo? Right. Then they knew about Remo and they could have just like gotten yeah. they, they don't have any trouble, you know, shooting really at him at any other point in the movie. Why did they stop there and 
I don't think they did on purpose. I think he legitimately escaped. I don't know. But I, I will tell you, the funniest part of the movie to me was were the dogs. Mm. So, yeah, again, when he gets into the manufacturing facility, there are, I think, three Dobermans mm-hmm. that are guards. What ensues is a battle of wits <laughs> that Remo loses a couple times. Uh-huh. And one dog in particular almost defeats him. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I like that fun. a lot. And if if I did a sequel to this film, I would absolutely put the dogs in it. I don't know if it would be a running joke that dogs outsmart him and are more skillful and trained than he is, or I would bring back literally the same dogs, you know, and have them just stationed at a new facility, like guarding it or someone's home or something like that. Like, but that's funny. The rats were funny too. Yeah, that was pretty good. But I, I love the dogs outsmarting him. Not just like, oh, he has to fight dogs, but they literally outsmart him. Oh, yeah. yeah it was and good. it kind of works for this character because the way he's portrayed in the film is that he's not too bright. Mm-hmm. And it you fits, know? fits perfectly. Yeah. And that's what you would do. Pick a not too bright super assassin to save right. worlds, right? Somebody who's physically capable and trainable, but not really going to think about the big picture or come up with a lot of his own ideas, you know, just sort of a weapon you can send in is going to do his job and leave because, you know, this whole setup is BS, right? And not really know what job he's doing or how he's going to get to his target or just kind of haphazardly figure out a way to kill the guy accidentally. Yeah. By timing the Jeep perfectly with the rolling logs. Oh, God. Yeah, it was so well-planned. All right, good. So there are some differences with the books that are probably worth talking about. So the book series, classic Pulp Fiction stuff, so nothing too complicated. I read the first two. They were published in the 70s. Interestingly, there was an eight-year gap between the first and the second book. So in the first book, you get the origin, and Cure actually framed him for murdering a junkie. He is tried, sent to uh, death row. And on the day he's scheduled to be executed, he um, is wheeled to, or like a priest shows up, tells him the only way you're going to survive is if you do what I say. He's wheeled to the electric chair and then they fake his death that way and take him out in a uh, in an ambulance uh, and recruit him. So it's a, it's a little bit better of an origin Basically, everybody he knows, he thought cared about him or that he was friends with or whatever, they all turn on him when he's convicted of this crime. When they come to him, it's truly at a point where he has no one and he's quite bitter. And I I like that a little bit more because it helps explain why he would so willingly walk away from human relationships, you know, and live this Uh life. Although I will say the character constantly in both books fantasizes about running away. He's not Very invested different. in the mission. Yeah, he's he's always thinking about it. He's looking for opportunities. He's not like seriously committed because he always decides that he could never relax, that someone would show up and kill him one day. Uh-huh. But he still thinks about it a lot. That's how little he's invested emotionally in this mission. So he's not a patriot at all. I see. Are his handlers the same? No, it's a little bit different. There is like a head of the agency. There is also a man who more directly recruits him and that man has a hook for a hand and he's actually the former remo or you know they don't go by that name it's not james bond but this guy was the assassin until he lost his hand i guess and they needed to recruit someone new i see 
So this guy is is retiring and moving on to a more like handler position. And, it, you know, spoilers for the first book. So stop here. Minus the hand. What? A handler position minus. Oh, uh, yeah. Good. Yeah. Yes. Remo refuses or isn't ready. I forget how it goes. I think he refuses to go on a mission, the very first mission. And the guy with the hook hand actually dies on that mission or he he gets injured. He fails. He gets injured and then he commits suicide in the hospital. Oh, wow. And at that point, Remo, Remo is sent to kill him in the hospital. Remo refuses and decides he's going to go on the run instead of killing this guy. And uh, and then he sees in the paper, like after a bender, Remo goes on a bender that night. Next day, he sees in the paper that the guy he was supposed to kill killed himself, but he made it look like someone murdered him. Cure says, good job, Remo. And he's oh. still in business. So there's some more twists. It's a, it's a lot more violent. There's more sex. It's darker. Remo as a character is, they consider him a weapon. So it's kind of like he was, so they don't talk about this at all in the movie, but prior to him being recruited, one of the reasons they recruit him is because in Vietnam, he basically proved he was a natural born killer. Like his unit would send him in to situations like by himself where he needed to infiltrate and kill people on his own. And he did it and didn't really care. So he was very good at it and not particularly emotional about it. So he's a like a natural born killer. And that's why they decide to recruit him years later when he's a cop. So they frame him and bring him on board. And he's very callous towards others in the series so far. I mean, only two mm. books in, so maybe the character changes, but he's very callous, doesn't really care about others. He doesn't take himself too seriously. He has very little ego. He doesn't really try to advance or get ahead or he doesn't have goals in life. He doesn't have this like firm sense of who he is. And at times he will have like a flash of anger based on ego and make a mistake. But generally speaking, he's unusual in that respect. He doesn't. And that's that's going to be a hard thing to portray in a series where an actor is supposed to play someone who just isn't all that invested in his own success and happiness. And the character especially doesn't like people with big egos and he'll go out of his way to make them pay for that. So he's kind of petty. Let's see. He's not very bright or clever. They got that part right. I don't know why they did an eight-year gap. The first book, he goes on that mission. He's very new. He doesn't use any really crazy skills. He basically manipulates people, eventually kills the person he's supposed to kill, and then he just leaves. Then the next book, it's eight years later, he's much more trained and he's been doing this and he is able to kind of be on his own more. He isn't connected to Cure as closely. And then they just send him on missions. So I don't understand why they did that. And I don't know, future books, maybe there's additional gaps, you, you know, big time jumps. I don't know. I wonder if a lot of the Gray Man is kind of based on this Remo William or Destroyer series. Kind I don't know. That whole kind of mirrors it in a lot of ways where he's kind of betrayed by the CIA or that organization. He ends up on the run. They're like kind of rogue forces within the CIA that want him dead. There's cover-ups. There's that whole thing. He's not good at emotional attachments. He's always a loner. He's always like going after the actual bad guys and avoiding anyone who's like good being injured. It's mm -hmm. kind of interesting. There's a lot of, yeah. seems like a lot of similarities. And I'm sure the author read those books or has heard of them because it sounds like a very similar plot line. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about the concept for a minute. 
Why is this so popular? 152 books, a movie. There were attempts at other movies. They started working on a sequel for this. They're talking about bringing it back for a series on Amazon. I think they're comic books or graphic novels based on this. People are fascinated with this idea of secret organizations within the government and the idea of a lone assassin committing crimes on behalf of that said secret organization in the government. It's really intriguing to people, I think. Do you think people approve of that idea? Or is it just something that like makes sense? There's corruption. Somebody's got to do something. It may as well be a government sanctioned assassin. I see it almost on the same on the same level as uh, UFO conspiracies, that the government's hiding something. They're always hiding mm. something. So this just makes it a much more interesting plot that it's almost like a given assumption that the government has all this secret activity that's happening that we don't know about. And this kind of gives you a glimpse into what that could possibly be in a fictionalized way. And I think people really gravitate towards that. Yeah. It's a classic example of a good guy doing bad things. Mm -hmm. And that's something that people do really like. Is it the classic hero's journey that he's on, right? Not really, right? Is he, I guess? Uh, yeah, because he's untrained at first. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it has that. I mean, he's, he's sort of like the Wolverine of agents, you mm -hmm. know, James Bond type stories. Because like a lot of these other ones, like Jim Cotta or whatever, like any anyone trained to go take out an organization that's too powerful for any one person to do anything about, or the government can't stop them. What is it? A uh, Knight Rider, criminals who operate above the law. Or uh, the 18, 18. right? right. Yeah. He's like all that, except he's kind of a bad guy. Like he's uh -huh. a bad person. Uh, maybe that works better. Like maybe that's part of why this clicks for a lot of people. It's like, well, he's an assassin. So it makes sense that he's also kind of a jerk. Well, isn't James Bond just like that in a lot of ways? Yeah, he used to be, but he's gotten a lot nicer. Mm -hmm. Now he only he's only mean in very specific circumstances. Because it's almost like he's trying to normalize his life now. Before, it wasn't even a consideration in the older movies. He just right, right. is who he yes. is. That's a good example, right? Now, now he's like trying to settle down. In the last movie, he's like trying to trying to be a one-woman guy. But the original James Bond, maybe a lot of the appeal is like, yeah, he's a bad, he's doing bad things because he's a bad person, but he's on our side. So maybe that's the appeal here. But is that timeless or is that of a time? Is that going to be received well if they try to do it again? Is it going to be like, yeah, it's like, you know, he's Wolverine. He's the Punisher. Do you think he has to be relatable in the sense that I do? For people to really gravitate towards him. I do. For this to be a series, like, I mean, it's a, obviously the Pulp Fiction novels are a series, but for an Amazon TV show, I do think he needs to have relatable elements. Like he has to love animals. Like, did you see Reacher, the Amazon version? I didn't, no. So in Reacher, they actually stop the plot a couple times. Like they stop the story so that Reacher can rescue a dog from an owner who's like weirdly out to get his own dog. And so Reacher goes in, slaps the guy around and takes his dog from him. And that dog pops back up. And it's entirely to make this hulking beast who snaps people's necks and shoots people right and left more likable and relatable and understandable and prevent him from becoming too dark of a character, I think. So, yeah, I would say, what do you think? Does Remo Williams need to be relatable? I think overall, yeah. Because I think in terms of a series or a movie, if there's nothing for you to hold on to in terms of the character at all, mm -hmm. just becomes he becomes a vigilante villain. You don't see any redeeming characteristics in 
in that particular protagonist. And I think over time, it makes the audience give up on them. Well, I think today it's important to differentiate in the audience's eyes between somebody who is relatable and likable versus somebody who is like a gun nut or ultra violent. There's a big chunk of America that views another big chunk of America as a bunch of gun-toting, unnecessarily aggressive morons who like violence for the sake of violence. And that audience, the people who obviously are not that way, they're not that simple, but people who live in a part of the country where, you know, guns are around and maybe that side would gravitate towards a Remo Williams, but you can't, it's got to have broader appeal. So he also has to exhibit traits that appeal to the broader audience, like the rest of the country that they never would learn a martial arts, right? Uh Martial arts, arts, art. They would never learn any of them, real or imagined. They don't get in fistfights. They don't think of assassinating people as a solution. They don't do, you know what I mean? The Uh stuff he does can't make him only relatable to people who, I don't know how to phrase this in a way that would make sense to everybody, but some people are more comfortable With these elements, some people are less comfortable. It's less a part of their daily life. He needs to appeal to all of those people, everyone. Uh Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, because it's a series on a major platform. They can't have a wholly unlikable character. Right. And to give him that broad appeal, he has to really connect with like base elements for everybody. Like He can't look like a cliche. It can't be easy to put him in the wrong box. Uh So whoever they cast needs to bring elements that appeal to an audience that isn't as rough and tumble in their daily life, but he has to play a character that's believably physical. Uh And that's tricky. It's going to be really tricky. I'm curious. Someone who who would callously kill, but he doesn't seem like a bad guy. Right. A complicated character. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that relationship he has with his master is really important for humanizing him. Otherwise, he really does seem like a living weapon. How do you think they're going to handle that aspect of it in this series? Since they did such a poor job and there was such a racist portrayal in the original movie, how do you think they're going to do this one? Like, what's going to take away those elements in a series? I spent a little bit of time listening to the um, audiobooks for a few of the newer novels because I was curious how the characters had evolved. And actually, by the way, in addition to just someone reading the audiobook, there are a lot of audio dramas where it's one person. It's not really an audio drama. What do they call it? It has a soundscape. So they added special effects and things like that. So it's not just one person reading it, but it's one person reading it with sound effects and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So these are that popular that they actually went and did that step for a lot of the novels. So this stuff is very popular. From what I've gathered in just you know, my research, I guess, is that Chion's character is not really offensive. He continues to evolve and develop. He's always the kind of ultimate badass in the room, but he's also a relatively peaceful person in some ways. I think they probably don't lean into that sexism that they had in the movie. Uh In the film, he, as you recall, he loves soap operas. Uh So they try to make him a character of inconsistencies. So that he stays away from being too one dim- or two dimensional or one dimensional. So there's a lot of really cool stuff you could do with that. If you now, I guess these days it absolutely has to be a probably a Korean actor. Uh-huh. Thankfully, there are tons and tons of really good Korean actors. 
So that's not a problem. Hopefully, hopefully whoever they pick has a lot of fun with the role and is a major star. I think in the series, Chun is sort of in and out. It's a highlight when he's in the series and they'll probably do flashbacks to training sequences and stuff throughout the whole series. But uh, hopefully whoever the actor is can bring just enough of the cliche martial arts master so that it, it it feels like that anchor is there. But then after that, just has a lot of fun with a character who sort of tortures his student, but believes, and they emphasize this in the novels, again, just in the little bit that I've read, but when he tortures Remo, he does it because he doesn't want Remo to die. Mm-hmm. So he like literally in one scene in the book inflicts intense pain on Remo. He like, you know, pops one of his ribs out. I think this is what happened, but he does something to him that leaves him in pain for days. And he does it so that Remo will learn the lesson that he was trying to teach him in that moment, how important it is to appear more helpless than you really are uh-huh. and to be wary of someone doing that. Right. So he tricks him, pops his rib out of place and Remo's in terrible, terrible pain for days. And then eventually Chun gives in and puts Remo's rib back in place. And he apologizes for doing that because he said he did it because he's tired of Remo's complaints and waking him up in the middle of the night. But Chun's sleep is more important to him than his love for Remo. (laughs) So so that's like a, a, it's funny, but it's also like a, a serious emotional dynamic or part of their dynamic is that he truly is invested in Remo living and this, and so he inflicts suffering on him and puts him through all this stuff in order for him to become someone who could possibly survive. So, you know, I hope they capture that. Yeah, like the special forces training where they put them through mm-hmm. extreme torture so that they survive in those real world environments. It makes sense. Yeah. So the new show, do you think it should be more grounded action? Do you think it should be science fiction? Do you think it should be fantasy? I would see it more of an action series. Okay, so more grounded action. More grounded action. The film is fantasy. It's not science fiction. James Bond generally stays in the realm of science fiction. It depends on the film. But a lot of it is science fiction, right? Meaning the advances, the technology is relatively believable, or at least it's presented as relatively believable. And the setting is meant to be near future or present day. I'm going to change my answer. When I think of science fiction, typically I think of space science fiction. Oh, okay. In terms of this type of series, those aspects of science fiction, like the James Bond aspects, Mm -hmm. could make for a more longer running show and something a little more interesting in terms of who he's going after. Mm-hmm. If you weren't confined by the typical rules of your straight action genre. Right. Well, that's what I, I think a lot of what makes this series fun and interesting, especially visually, are the training sequences and the kills. Mm-hmm. Right. So the movie, I think, did not do a good job with the kills, but the books mm-hmm. do. There are a lot of great action sequences and Remo very smoothly and effectively takes people out a lot of the time. Sometimes it's a tough fight. Like they make it a point, especially early in the novels. If he's up against someone who spent a lifetime fighting, being an enforcer or having some sort of training or practice, then it's it can be a harder fight for Remo. But a lot of times when he's up against people who have no training, they're not or very little or they haven't kept it up. He takes them out and he does it 
pretty maliciously and with some enjoyment, especially if they were trying to kill him or they're jerks or whatever. So I think the movie is action fantasy. And I would point to him levitating, oh, yeah. you know, being able to like float above the ground as an example, not the only one, but as as really like that kind of seals it. You know, there's no science fiction in this. It's fantasy, right? right. So my uncertainty is around, is the new series going to be action fantasy, action sci-fi, more grounded action? Is the reason the movie didn't work in part action fantasy or is action fantasy not something that's likely to work now because people don't view the um, martial arts as so mystical? It's almost offensive, this idea that somebody who studies uh, martial art can like channel their chi or do these kind of mystical things. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could make it like it's not just action fantasy, it's action mysticism, you know, kind of like uh, Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I could see this being action fantasy, the new series that could make it stand out. You'd have yeah, to hang true. hang a lantern on it and be like, hey, that's crazy and probably could never happen. You know what I mean? Like there'd have to be some dialogue there. But and I mean, wouldn't it have to be, I guess, now that I think about it some more, wouldn't it have to stick to the action fantasy because of his ability to dodge bullets and like you said, yeah, the levitation aspects. I, I think so. It would take away the, the I think you're right. I think it'll have to be action fantasy. So as I understand it, in two of the uh, Remo or the Destroyer series Pulp Fiction novels, Remo fights a werewolf. Wow, that's different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <that's> different. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to have to be an action mysticism subcategory of action fantasy. I think there's going to need to be something more to this martial art than just it's you know, super intense training of a human to their peak ability, it's going to have to be like, no, there are a lot of lost secrets that the other martial arts were never able to capture or continue, which means in the rules of this universe, there are probably other sources of mysticism or, you know, fantastical elements. And a werewolf maybe would not be out of place. Yeah, that would make things pretty interesting. It could, right? It could go bad real fast. That is a fine ass line to walk. Like, I think the MCU is walking that Uh or they're trying to. And I think humor goes a long way, which this has. So from a certain perspective, this is a cross between Jack Reacher and Spider-Man or Guardians of the Galaxy. Guardians of the Galaxy. Sure. Yeah. So, yes, I think if you can capture that feel, it's weird to think of it. I think you have to forget the 80s movie. You have to wipe that from your brain. Yeah. Because the 80s movie, you know, was it Golden Child was another film around the mm-hmm. same time where they try to do kind of thing. And it sort of works some of the time. Like, I'm sure there's a few movies that I'm not thinking of that made it work. But like Karate Kid, which you referenced, is not at all that. It's just mm-hmm. an action film. Since they have so much source material to go on, oh, yeah. it'll be so interesting to see how they interpret it. We were talking about The Last of Us earlier. Sounds like they're following the video game to a T. I've never played the video game, but that's what I keep hearing, that it's like almost exactly the same as a video game. So if they were to take it directly from the books, from what you've read so far, do you think it has a chance to be very successful? And is it unique enough to do that? Or is it still dated? I would need to read one of the newer books. Some of the writers, so this series has had multiple different writers over the years, but I do know that like a comic book writer wrote some of the books that are well-received or one or two of those are popular ones. There is definitely a way to do this. 
I think that they probably need to stick closer to the newer novels would be my guess and move away a little bit from the older novels and definitely the film. I think if you do that and you approach it a little bit like a superhero project, but a much darker, more grounded one than the MCU, you keep some of the violence and some of the sexuality. So it's more aimed at adults. I think you can do it. So I don't know if you saw this, but the person developing this new series was a writer on season one of Breaking Bad. And then he moved up the chain and eventually became a producer by season six or an executive producer. I forget. So he's one of the guiding influences for Breaking Bad. Mm. Yeah, that'll be really interesting because there's so many ways it sounds like this could go since there's so many books. And does it become a kind of like a period piece where it takes place in the 70s or early 80s and they go that route? Yeah, they could do that. Or do they modernize the whole thing and take elements from the... Should should they do that? Should they set it in the 70s or the 80s? I mean, that's a really good question. I haven't read the book, so I don't know where he ends up in modern times to be able to make that call, but it could be an interesting take. But then along with that, you have a lot of the limitations of that time period in terms of technology and like, let's say the fantasy aspect of it that you could do in more modern times, you know, like he's still in the era of pay phones and, you know, like there's all of those technological limitations. So is it more interesting to have him in a modern setting where you can take him in so many different directions or do you kind of limit him and that becomes more creative and fun, you know? I think it could be better. So first of all, Walter White is another example of our Wolverine characters, you know? Mm. So maybe the tone will be easier for this guy, this producer. Second of all, one of the advantages of setting it in the 70s or 80s, especially the 70s, is that it can kind of be of that time in that movies back then had more mysticism and supernatural elements mixed in with action. And that wasn't seen seen as weird. And the idea of a martial art, you know, having kind of mystical elements also specifically was not weird. So it kind of gives a little bit of an excuse to the series if it's set in the past. It's sort of like judge this in accordance with movies that came out set at that time. Kind of Mm -hmm. like if you made another like monster movie, like a mummy or Dracula movie or not Dracula as much, but like a mummy movie or a uh, werewolf movie. Yeah. If you set it in the present, it's judged one way. But if you set it in like the 1940s, right, then it automatically kind of gets judged in a different way. And some of those elements that don't work in a modern day setting are fun and amusing and applauded. Because they it's like um, they recently did that Marvel werewolf TV show and they intentionally made it black and white so that they mm-hmm. could say, OK, well, yeah, we get it. This is a werewolf story and it's kind of cheesy. And yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. So that could that, help. What really popped into my head was Kill Bill, how he had these like 70s style montages and this idea of her training with kind of like a mystical style oh, martial arts trainer you yeah. Know, yeah, with yeah. this whole the whole modern vibe, you kind of fuse those two elements together. Okay, Yeah. So he gave it that kind of um, B-movie grindhouse feel mm-hmm. with the editing and some of the pacing choices and things like that. And it made those elements of the story more enjoyable instead of less Your typical enjoyable. revenge flick. Right. right. It, Where they it, would it, have sure. stood out as stupid or yeah, dated. But would that carry for a whole series? 
would an audience get really tired of seeing that? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's an interesting question. Good. Anything else about uh, Remo Williams before we leave him to his continuing adventures? No, I wish him the best in his new adventure. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. He's going to need it. Yeah, he really will. All right. So thank you, listeners. Thank you to all the amazing, talented people who made everything we discussed today. We'll be back next week to discuss the films of Treat Williams and Joe Piscopo. Can't wait for that. I don't know if you noticed, Wilford Brimley never stands up. He sits the entire film. That's a great fun fact to leave the audience with. Yeah, I noticed it. So I was sitting there the whole time waiting to see a scene where he's on his feet. It's not going to happen, I bet. Same chair. You're going to keep waiting. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So as always, stay away from those like and subscribe buttons. Remember, don't encourage us. Yeah, please don't.